Hey everybody, welcome to the Balance Boss Podcast. I am your host, Lauren Zoller, and today's guest is Ryan Haddon. Ryan is a certified life and spiritual coach, hypnotherapist, and certified meditation teacher with over 16 years of experience working with clients all around the world. She is a sought-after public speaker for corporate retreats and wellness events, and is also the in-house life coach at Kourtney Kardashian's website, Poosh, where she writes mind-body-spirit articles regularly. She is the daughter of an international supermodel and actress. She had a wonderfully unique life growing up in Toronto, New York, and Paris, and was also an on-air personality for Extra and Court TV, while she modeled for L'Oreal, all before transitioning into story development at a film production company. While living in Hollywood, Ryan realized that she wasn't living the life she wanted and was searching for happiness in all of the wrong places. On her path of healing, she sought out mentors, healers, spiritualists, and a tribe of people to grow and learn alongside. This journey eventually led Ryan to work with other women, helping them heal from toxic relationships, drug and alcohol abuse, eating disorders, codependence, low self-esteem, and many other issues along the way. Ryan is a certified life coach by the International Coaching Federation and is also certified as a meditation teacher through 200-hour teacher training and a hypnotherapist through the National Guild of Hypnotists. As a hypnotherapist, Ryan helps clients affect lasting change by working with the all-powerful subconscious mind. By uncovering blocks, limiting beliefs, and realigning the mind, body, and spirit, Ryan helps her clients find their center. From this place of true power, her clients can create the life they want to be living with abundance, love, and purpose. I'm so excited to have Ryan on the show today. As you can see, she's in complete alignment with everything we talk about here on the Balance Boss Podcast. Without further ado, let's jump right in. Welcome to the Balanced Boss Podcast, where we discuss how to live abundantly in all areas of your life. Here is your host, work-life balance coach, Lauren Zola. Ryan, welcome to the show. Oh, it's so great to be here, Lauren. I'm excited to have you. So I always start the Balance Boss podcast with an intention setting. And for the listeners who have been listening for seasons past, many of them look forward to this so that we can set just an intention for how we want to feel listening to the show today. So I'm actually going to put the ball in your court and have you set an intention for how you want the listeners to feel or what you want them to take away after we're done chatting today. I'd like them to move into their center. Hmm. And so what that means to me is that we have this set point within ourselves that's balanced, that's aligned, that we kind of click out of the mind and move into this place within us that is a place of knowing knowing what the next right thing is, what, um, how to respond instead of react. And um, the way that I describe it is being in your center. So I'd like that to be the takeaway. If something just moves right into that click, into place where you feel grounded and you feel like you're, everything's right where it needs to be in place within you. There's no turmoil. There's no spinning. I think that's perfect. It's perfect for today, especially since we're going to be talking about rock bottom. <laughs> mm. and, yeah. <laughs> and so how important it is to find your center, even when you're in those moments, mm-hmm. um, I think is so important. So before we jump into that, though, can you tell us a little bit about you? I 
your story is fascinating to me. You were on screen in Hollywood and now you live on your own terms in this beautiful historic farmhouse in Pennsylvania. So can you tell us a little bit about how you got there? Well, it's very circuitous, as they say. It, um, it's never linear. Uh, let's see. I, yeah, I was drawn out to Hollywood like a moth to a flame. You know, it's one of those places that has all this shiny, sparkly things, and it promises so much. And um, if you're lured out there for uh, trying to get find wholeness or trying to click a piece into place that you think is missing, which is what you know, that's really anything anywhere. You know, when we put value on something outside of ourselves, thinking it's going to deliver, right? Um, and so that that town represented that for me. So yeah, it was trying to marry the the husband that was in the spotlight. It was trying to be on the carpet, have this incredible wardrobe, you know, go to parties and do all those sort of shine, all the things that the illustrious life, so to speak. And there, and there's nothing wrong with it if it's not, if it doesn't own you, if it's not what you think defines you. Do you know what I mean? If you can be mm -hmm. in it, but not of it. And that's true for anything that, you know, kind of pulls us off our centers, if you will. But if you don't have a center <laughs> and you're going out there trying to get that, it's gonna, you're gonna nosedive fast. Um, so anyway, so that, that all, that all played out in a kind of a, interesting way for me. And that's where, you know, we're going to get into the rock bottom piece of it, but there, that definitely was a, was a part of the, the, the rite of passage, if you will, to decide to have something different. And that's a different frequency. Like you can't just make that decision necessarily just like, Oh, tomorrow I'm going to move to a farmhouse. Like it, it was, it was this um, reckoning of moving into sort of a finding peace within myself, within that chaotic world. And then deciding that I wanted the outside world I lived in to reflect the peace that was going on within me, you know, and sort of that sounds very uh, flowery and colorful, but truly it's very hard one. And it was a lot of hard work to let go of things I thought I needed to have, you know, mm -hmm. to be happy and really learning that that happiness was coming from cultivating that on the inside. And so that sounds great on a bumper sticker, but to really earn that and to live that was a lot of heavy lifting. And I had a lot of great mentors. I had a lot of great um, spiritual people that I worked with. I had a crew of people that I would go to, to run by on the ground. How am I thinking? How am I feeling? How can I reprogram my subconscious? I mean, you know, I'm a hypnotherapist. So that was one of, that's one of the, the tools that availed itself to me early on um, in my rock bottom time. And it, it was super helpful. So, um, I mean, I think you asked me what I did. I don't know if you can <laughs> be that way. I was, I'm a life coach. I'm a spiritual mentor. I'm a meditation teacher and I'm a um, hypnotherapist. But again, these are all things that I had to lean into with others to be able to find my way. And then in that finding found that I really wanted to transmit what I had learned and what I had picked up. And so, of course, I got all those certifications and um, to be able to help other people do the same. Yeah. Oh, beautiful story. And there's so much, I resonate so much with that story as well. I, um, I also followed the shiny object syndrome out <laughs> to LA <laughs> and I lived in LA for, for a little while until I, 
you know, it, it, I wasn't moving out there for the right reasons. Um, and it's, I eventually found my way to coaching as well. And I think that that move out there and the things that I was searching for that weren't grounded in center of who I really was as a human led me to the space of, you know, self-development and finding my mentors and my teachers, and then eventually Mm -hmm. making my way into the coaching world. So I'm interested in knowing was this change and this shift for you, was it gradual or was it a, I woke up from one day from rock bottom and it, you knew that you had to change. And so you kind of ripped the bandaid off and, and made these monumental changes. Was it a, a, a slow progression or was it something that needed to change immediately? And so you took action. Um, well, I was so unhappy, you know, and I think pain can be a touchstone for progress. You know, it can, it doesn't have to be, you know, I don't, I don't always subscribe to that idea that we have to have pain to change, right? Because I work with messaging with the subconscious. So I like to think that when I'm awake and conscious, I can hear, oh, it's time for a shift now. But at that time, I didn't have that conversation going within myself. And so the pain was the way, it was like flags on the field and the, and the flags got bigger and bigger and, you know, the bottoms got lower and lower. And for me at that time, I mean, I'll just jump right in and be transparent here. You know, I was grappling with addiction. And so, you know, addiction shows up for me, not for everybody, but it did for me when, you know, my painful thinking and my processing is to such a point that it's so uncomfortable being within my own skin that I'm going to have to find something to make it tolerable. And for me, that has been food in the past. It has been relationships. It can be shopping, spending. It can be, but at that point it was, um, you know, uh, substances. And so that, that becomes another way of coping. And at first it works out, it, it works for you until it doesn't. Right. And so it's the same with everything else. So you can see, I have this huge repertoire, if you will, of things that I've used to mitigate life and to not live life on life's terms. And so up until then, try this, try that, try this, try that. And it's really just this running from the big feelings as they're rolling in. And so when I got into that really tight spot where, you know, drugs and alcohol had become that for a moment, it um, it got so as it's wont to do, got so incredibly you know dark, um, and that dark night of the soul was there. I had this spirituality that I had leaned into before, and for some reason, I had this that put a wedge between me and my spirituality, and I couldn't access it. And that's another level of pain and shame for me that happened. And from there, I. Um, I did. It was a dark, it was a dark day. And from that moment forward, I said, there's got to be something else. And that's where I feel grace and self-effort meet. There's a, there's a, there's a fork and they, they'll, mm-hmm. they'll keep coming. You know, these, these, these moments that happen where it's like, I was, there was a willingness to, to do something differently. And then that grace, I opened myself up to it. So that was a, a, a spiritual impasse that happened. And I stepped through that window you know, when it did or fork in the road, however, whatever analogy you want to use, but it, you know, a window of grace or a fork in the road. And I think everyone has that in their story, that moment where they can see, while me of my own willpower was not enough. It wasn't enough to will myself through it. Something else happened. There was an opening. Someone stepped in and said some, it doesn't have to be a blinding white light, 
You know, it can be a person saying, hey, how about you try this? And for some reason, you, they've said it 10 times and that morning you hear it, you know? Um, yeah. And that, that's how I'm defining grace in that moment. And some people might have that burning bush, you know, but it can be through other people, you know, and spirit works through people. So, um, or it can be a sign, literally a stop sign on the road, or it can be, you know, a mailer that comes in or an email or a piece of, you know, this has happened with someone who worked with me that I had written my name on a piece of paper and with my number and they had tucked it away in their desk. And many years later at a moment when they were just at, you know, a crossroads, that moment, that fork, that window of grace, they, that paper popped up and they called me. And from that moment on their life changed, you know, not that I changed it, but I was like, come, come with me and we'll talk with some people that might help you you know, with this, your own dark night of the soul. So it's, it's, it's fascinating to me. And I'd love to write a book on that someday of all those moments and windows of grace for people um, and how it shows up because it's, it's um, everyone has it in their story. I think you can track back, right? I'm sure you, I'd like to hear what that was for you, Lauren, you know, how you, why you decided to leave LA or how, you know, what was that moment? Did you have something like that happen for you? I did. I've had several moments of grace in my journey along, you know, along the way as to where I am now. And I think, you know, leaving LA and coming back to, I I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky. So I came back to Louisville where I was coming from Mm -hmm. there. And I think it's interesting that you brought this up because sometimes the moments of grace, just like you said, it can be given to you, or you can stumble upon something that reminds you that there needs to be a shift. But for me, there's always been this deep sense of just inner knowing and really trusting. And and I can feel something when it's out of alignment with, Mm -hmm. with who I am. And that's, that's the moment that happened when I was in LA and made my way back to Kentucky before eventually, you know, moving to Nashville, there was just this deep inner knowing that I wasn't in the right place. Um, and for me, it's really having, I always say, and I, you know, I tell my clients this too, that the first step for change is awareness and is really listening to that inner knowing because we ignore it so often. Mm-hmm. So yes and no, I think that there have been, there have been moments where other people have been that catalyst for grace. And then when I, what really has been that huge shift for me into new areas of my life have been getting quiet enough to really listen to what my body and my intuition and my gut is telling me needs yeah. to happen, which is, it's a gift, right? That's a gift, but it's also a practice that you have to learn to tune into. Um, do you feel as though that sense of inner knowing and being able to listen to that that gift of grace from your own body and intuition? Do you feel as though that has been a catalyst for you as well? Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about, you know, 17 years ago when I was so, so not in that place of center. And it's been this journey of learning to trust myself and having, having had to pull in all those resources of people outside of me because my own voice was so disresonant with my intuition, with my um, self-love, with trusting that voice. Do you know what I mean? And I think addiction yeah. can really just pull you off so far off that course that you, you know, there's a, there's a self-loathing of to heal from that. 
So I think you need to pull, there's a time to pull in other people who can reflect to you a higher version of yourself because you're not there. You know, your best thinking got you there. So mm. you can't trust that voice. It's not, it's not that the, the, the higher self voice or the voice of, that you're speaking of is the volume so turned down or it's yeah. off. You know, yeah. so there's a time to rally that. There's a time to lean into that. And then as the recovery, as the growth, as the transformation rolls on and years roll on, experiences happen, you see how you can change and show up in your life and become, you know, you have faith in your own abilities and your gifts and um, your ability to become a light worker, if you will. Yeah. I mean, that's such a woo-woo term, but I freaking love it because it's, <laughs> it is, you're, you're shedding light. First of all, you can only give it to yourself first and then it becomes, you know, because you're healing, I'm healing, was healing from codependence. So it's, before it was about throwing, throwing the lens on other people. And I find some people in the coaching space might have that still, where it's, if I can fix this, if I can fix that. But I find like the really powerful coaches and the ones that are working with others are coming from a place of overflow. You yeah. know, they have done that work. I mean, we're still healing alongside. I mean, it's, it's, it's for the rest of our lives, right? It's refining. It's, it's doing all that. But it's that day comes when the mentors and those, start, it starts to peel away and you start to stand on your own. And that is just a beautiful moment where you can be like, you know, I trust my own advice. I trust my own intuition. I still run things by other people. I still work with a coach you know, to be fair, because I need that reflected back. Like, how's this sounding? How am I, you know, I like, it's nice to talk it out loud. I mean, I journal, I do all the things that I do, but I still have a few people in place that are, that I trust. And I think it's important to have a sounding boards, you know, but at the end of the day, I'll take that in and then I'll sit quietly and I trust that own voice. And that takes time more. And you know that, right. Yeah. It takes, it takes a lot of, um, patience and diligence and trust and love. It all comes from self-love, right? And to go from that time in my life to where I am now, where I am my own best guide, but I still have my um, assembly of people that I trust and love that I can bounce things off of for different things. But at the end, then I'm behind that, it's still me. And that, um, that this version of me that I'm cultivating and curating and that, um, I'm my own best ally. I truly, truly believe that. And that's a long road to get there. Yeah. yeah. I want to say, I just want to backtrack before I forget is that I love a Los Angeles. If anyone's listening into this and we're like, that, <laughs> thinking that's the takeaway. Like LA was like the place where it all got revealed to me. Yeah. So it's, it's hollowed ground. It's sacred ground. And there are so many incredible spiritual guides and healers and movements and new thoughts you know, transformation people there, that it's all there. It's such an incredible space and place. It's a vortex, I believe, a spiritual vortex within a, um, a factory of illusion. <laughs> yeah. It's got, yeah. they're both living together, you know, and, and, and that's what they say in all the greats, you know, scriptures, light and dark can cohabit nicely. Yeah. And you can't know dark until you can't know light till you know dark. And so it makes sense that that would be a, a place that would um, be able to hold those two things really well. Yeah. And I love that you put that so perfect. I mean, for me, that was when you step off of the airplane in Los Angeles, you can feel it. You mm -hmm. can feel that energy the mm -hmm. second, the second you land. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and now it's interesting. And I, you know, would love to hear your take on this before we kind of segue into, you know, helping people that are in their rock bottom or identifying their rock bottom. But I'm interested in knowing how you feel about visiting LA now, because it's a, it's a, it's a different experience for me mm-hmm. from the first time that I was there and going through what I went through. It's a, it's a different, it's a different feel. It's like, I'm tuned into that light energy now when I, when I go there and I can almost recognize where the dark energy lies when I step off the plane in, in LA, but I, I didn't have that inner knowing and I didn't have that dialogue to be able to express that when I was there for the first time. Yeah, it, it, I agree. I really do. It's so, it's been so nice to go back. Um, I've been, I left, what is it? I want to say 11 years ago, 10 years ago, something like that. Um, but I do love going back and I have my sisters that I, you know, I say sisters cause I was a single mom there with two kids and you rally with girlfriends in a way that you might not otherwise. I mean, I, th- I think you can, but it becomes about survival, you know, mm-hmm. for me and the girls in that town was that was it when I was reconstructing my life after my divorce. And, you know, this is that, that 17 year period, 16 and a half years ago. Um, so I love going back and seeing them and that's a, those are their tethers there for me. But um, I, yeah, I do feel that. I feel like that. I feel like that town crackles with it. So every time I, I get back, I go see my healers and I see my shamans. And I see my different people that held space for me when I needed it. And yeah. it still holds up. It still holds up and it's so beautiful. Oh my God. Right. That the landscape and the ocean yes. and the mountains and then you an hour in the desert and you're, oh, it's just it's spectacular. Yeah, so, I know. I completely, completely agree. I like to go in and out. I like laser in and out. I'm in. For yes. Like and I like, I come back pretty tired because I'm like just seeing everybody and trying to get hikes in. And it's like a, it's a pilgrimage of sorts, but I do like to <laughs> not dilly dally when I, when I get in there. I agree. <laughs> completely agree. So let's talk really quick about the term rock bottom. And I want to just kind of circle back around to, you know, the addiction piece. And I, you know, I've, I myself have struggled with addiction and I have a lot of close people in my life who are, you know, making their way through addiction, family members who have dealt with it. And I really do feel like addiction is the numbing of that inner knowing and not mm-hmm. wanting to tune in a lot of times. So I'm interested mm-hmm. in knowing what the term rock bottom if someone is not tapped into that inner knowing, how can someone personally identify if they're there, if they're at rock bottom, even if it doesn't, because I see this all the time in my practice, and I'm sure that you do too. I have clients that come in and talk about how they don't feel worthy of being in their rock bottom because it doesn't look like someone else's. So mm-hmm. can you shed light on on how you feel about that term rock bottom and how someone can identify if they're there? Well, I think it feels, you know, being so separate from who you're supposed to be and who you feel you really are, you know? And so I feel like that's going to be different for every person, you know, um, certainly in recovery, you see people who are low bottom and high bottom. That's how, that's like a term, right? It, I don't know if you've heard that before, but like a high bottom would be like, you haven't lost anything, right? You haven't, you haven't lost your family. You haven't lost a job. You haven't, you're, you have people who come in who want to get sober and they're just, um, 
feeling like they're just not living their best life and something is controlling and managing them. And my hat's off to them because that if I could still work it, I probably would be, you know? Um, yeah. No one wants to give up the, the binky, you know? No one wants to give up the thing that's working, that's soothing until because it has that other flip side to it where it becomes a dependency and then it's running a show. Um, so that, that's, I think it's rare, but it happens. I think it's, you know, you don't have to lose everything to be done with it. You don't have to, you know, some of us are more experiential and some of us like to do more research, right? And some people, some of us like to go to the nth degree and we have that moment where we have those snapshots of ourselves where we click out of our body and be like, oh, wow, we're there. That's ugly. Woo. You know? And then you click back in again. You're like, nope, keep going. Let's do this. Let's do it. You know, so there's yeah. those moments of checks along the way. They're like, wow, I'm doing the thing I said I wasn't going to do. I'm freaking doing it. It's happening. <laughs> you know, um, and then you just keep plodding on or it's a, a moment of clarity. Mm. So, and some of us, th there's no right way. There's no, and it really feels like it's the disease talking when you're in that place where you're like, well, it's not, not so bad. It's not so bad. It can get worse. Yeah. We all know it can get worse. Like it, it's progressive. It does. It just, it's going to keep plodding on and on and on and on until you're at that, you know, there's that great saying it's jails, death or institutions. Yeah. Like that the outcome. So, you know, it's really, if you have the blessing to be able to say, you know, I think I might be, if you're, if you're lucid enough to say, you know, I think I'm at my rock bottom not sure. Like, just know that it can go deeper. It can go lower. Right. There's always that capacity for more, for depth, for, for that. And I think a lot of people who have overdose or accidental things like that, it's, that's them in that, in that limbo of rock yeah. bottom, like how much more. So it can go more and it can, it can go dark, like literally yeah. lights off, you're out, you know, and it's not necessarily I'm done. It's just, I'm exploring the bottom. Yeah. You know, so I think just to know that if you're contemplating, could get lower, could look, if you're having the grace to be able to have that moment of contemplation, like just know you're, 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 you're something, some, something's opening up to you to have an exit and take it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the very, that's a great, that's a great way to put it too. And if someone is there and let's, let's say that they do have that moment of, of knowing or deep inner knowing that it's time to pull themselves out. What do you recommend is the first step for them Stop to take? Stop thinking about it. Don't think about it anymore. Just move into action mm. because your thinking is where the disease is, do you know, or where the habitual thought patterns and the reward systems and the, you know, the, the compulsive obsessive, it's all in the mind. Yeah. So if you're having a moment of clarity, move into action and get going, do yeah. something else, call someone else, work with a coach, get into, you know, therapy, go call a friend and tell the truth. This is, right. this is what I've been doing and hold, get accountability into place immediately. So you yeah. have an ally. So you have someone who can open because you're not going to be able to think yourself into right action. And then that window closes again, that window of grace that, that, yep. that right. So if you have yep. that moment where you're feeling like I could be in a rock bottom, just take an action. And it's going to feel like a contrary action because you're not going to want to do it. Yeah. The part of you that is, 
that is running point that wants to keep following the the the, the through line through this is going to want to keep you in this comfort even if as it's in its destructive uh onward mobility of it you know it's going to want to keep you there yeah. so if you have this moment of contemplating oh wedge something between that and that thought and that next the compulsive habitual pattern of doing the same thing over and over again and get into action. That's what I yeah. said. Yeah. Well, and, and I think there's, there's an element of surrender in that too. I, um, I have noticed, you know, just in my own battle with addiction and, and the people that are close to me who have battled with addiction, that there's a moment when you're there that you feel like you have control of it. Like you feel as though and I've noticed this very recently with, with someone close to me, it's this battle of, I have, I can do this. I'm in control. I can fight this. And there have been several instances where really what the catalyst for change is the action piece, but it's also the action piece with surrender and knowing that you can't do this alone. Like it's bigger than you mm-hmm. at this yeah, point. That's a big one. And yeah. And so can can you talk to that a little bit? Because I think that action is definitely, you have to take action. That's the first thing. But what I see so often is action is one thing, but action without surrender, because you can, I mean, you can go to detox and you can go to rehab over and over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. But when you get out, if you still feel as though you can do it by yourself, without any accountability or any sort of support system, it's nine times out of 10, it leads you right back down that Mm -hmm. nasty path. Yeah. The surrender piece is big. um, But that's almost sometimes a tough thing to do because it feels like giving up or it feels like a losing, right? Mm -hmm. So I think it depends. I think action's great for, not even being able to identify, I can't work this anymore. You know, yeah. just that I, I've just hit a wall. So someone else can guide me and direct me into it. And then the surrender piece is really just saying, I need help. I need something that could be greater than me to help me do it. It could be a person and it could be, you know, a uh, source. It could be spirit. It could be whatever that is. But you know, that's when you get into different programs and 12 step world and that that's the very first step. So, you know, it's called, it's powerlessness. And that's the first step is powerless and unmanageable, you know, and that's a tough one. A lot of people cannot get to step one because they think they can still manage things. And so that's why I'd say that sometimes can be daunting. You know, I've worked with different people. I'm not a sober coach. I just want to be clear about that. Um, But I, I work in a different way around uh, the 12 step world, but I don't coach on that capacity, but, but I do feel like that can, people can really stumble with that and they can go back out. Like you said, it can be that, but I can still manage it. I can still control it. I can still make it work. If I just try this, if I just do that, because again, as I said earlier, like we don't want to give it up. Why would you give it up? It's so hard to live without it. And that's like why we have the, those action points. Just do this, just do this. You will feel better you know, it's, um, it's an action and then it will create a feeling state that will, once you start feeling a little better, right. By taking those action steps, you, um, then that starts to be like, Oh, it could be different. Right. Yeah. It could be, I could live a different way. 
Um, so I remember even for me to get personal, I mean, this just all sounds like gobbledygook if I don't bring a, a personal story to it. I remember for me, I was brought to a rehab and I was still railing against it in the car, like on the way there, you know, like it's just so strong that addiction, like it's just has everything invested, like that voice of addiction, that frequency of addiction, even when the gig is up, you know, I had had this public thing that had just happened and it was like the thing that I was trying to hide it and hide my, you know, addiction and hide, you know, this unmanageability in my life, this powerlessness, it, the gig was up and I was still on the car ride there. just going, no, I don't want to do this. I don't. And then when I got there, someone said, do you want to stay or go? And I found myself saying, I'm going to stay. And I was like, what? I'm going to stay. I'm not staying. I'm gonna... So like this, this two voices within myself were competing for, you know, um, power. And that's mm-hmm. where I can really see like the voice of addiction is different than the higher self, the, the part of me that is me. You know, so I have to treat this voice of addiction. It's a separate from me almost. And there's things I do to do that, to keep that managed. And I'm never, I'm never going to be able to drink and use like any, like the average person ever. And I know that about myself. So that's my, that's my own self-knowledge now. I'm different, not special, not unique, just different. And so I have to take steps, action steps daily to prevent that slippage from ever happening again. And I don't live in fear, but I have a respect for my addiction. Mm. Wow, that's a powerful statement. That's a very powerful statement. So I treat it. I treat it as such. Yeah. You know, there's Thank- very specific things I do, but yeah. Yeah. So I hope that Thank that you. Answers. Yeah. No, it definitely does. And thank you so much for sharing that because I, mm-hmm. it's, addiction is just such a hard thing. And I, there, there's so much power in being able to share your story for people to feel as though they're not alone. Um, and that's, that's one of the side effects of addiction too, is that isolation and loneliness. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. And I just want to say, I'm talking about drugs and alcohol and those things, but it really, addiction is so, it's in everything, right, Lauren? I mean, like, it's just so many ways in which we manage things. So I just want to, anyone who's listening just to know that it it's pervasive and it's debilitating and it's um it can be in a relationship for goodness sakes there's love addiction yeah you know it's codependence it's putting other people before ourselves so we don't have to put the focus on ourselves. it's whatever we put before a relationship to self yeah yeah so that relationship so that's why we set the intention of moving into our center because that's the highest addiction cannot thrive there that Mm -hmm. frequency i keep bringing up frequency because it is it's an it's an energetic of just like, it's this, you know, this grinding frequency of just more, more, I need more, I can't live. It's not, you know, it's, it's, it's not, that's the voice of it to me, you know, and the frequency of being in your center is calm and peace and trust and faith and knowing. And yeah, I flip out a center. It happens all that my kids, you know, it happens. Life does that. Life pulls you off all the time. But I think that is the highest place to be for me. It's not in a church. It's not, you know, I have an altar. I sit in front of my altar daily. It's not even there anymore. It's within me. It's within that center within myself where I feel like I'm in that highest point. It used to be taking a couple of shots and maybe something else would get that click. They talk about, we're like, ooh, 
feeling good. The world's looking good. I'm feeling I'm in my place. I'm in my happy place. I can get that now when I click into center. And there's mm. a bunch of things I do to get that. But it's very similar in that I feel connected. Yeah. Yeah. I feel known. I'm in being. I'm in a place of being, you know? Yeah. So this is called the Balance Boss Podcast. And really what I what I love to ask my guests when they come on the show is you've answered some of this for us, but I'm interested in knowing a little bit more. What are your daily non-negotiable self-care items that you execute to stay rooted in center? I know that you mentioned journaling earlier and you have a coach, but can you talk a little more to the things that you do on a day-to-day basis that keep you centered? I am always, um, I always, I always meditate. I always sit and meditate and, you know, I, I struggled with that for a bunch of years of like, oh, if I don't have transcendental meditations, it's not working. And I really have let go of that. And it's really about just having that moment with myself. So I, and that I rotate all the time. So it's breathing, it's visualizing things, it's doing guided meditations, it's doing Kundalini yoga. So I'm doing Kriyas, it's doing um, mantra, it's Japa, you know, I do anything I'll try anything and everything. And it's really up to me. It's on me to keep it exciting. It's on me to keep my meditation practice cracking. You know what I mean? And so I just move around through different things, but I do it. And sometimes it's just breathing and breath coming in and breath going out. It's super simple. Mm. Um, and I let myself, um, I let it flow like that organically, what I feel like, but I do it. And sometimes a day gets busy and I want to be honest with everyone. Sometimes it's, you know, it's right before bed. I'm like, oh, I still haven't done it. So I'll sit down right down in front of my mattress, like at the bottom of the bed and, you know, with my back pressed up against the, the, the back of the bed and just sit for my 10 minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, whatever that is, just so that, again, it's the respect I have for the disease. It's the respect I have for what I've cultivated to get to where I am that um, that's what I do. It's a non-negotiable, as you said. And then, you know, my life's really busy, Lauren. So it's, it's practicing mindfulness throughout my day when I'm doing the laundry, when I'm washing dishes, get grounded, breathe. I'm here now. Feel the water running through my fingers as I'm doing the sheets. So I'm not spinning over a head. What's next? Because I do feel like my life's really full. We were talking about this before the podcast. Like this is a really busy time. It feels yeah. like everything has gotten turned up. The productivity children home from school. I got goats. Like, so I'm out on the farm and I'm doing there's, And so it's just bringing myself into presence. And that feels like I'm moving into my center, you know? So it doesn't yeah. have to look like what it used to be, which is I must, you know, spend a half an hour and I must connect with something greater. You know, there's moments and times for that. And then sometimes it's on the fly and that's good enough. That's fluid and it works. Yeah. I love it. So what's next for you, Ryan? What do you have coming up? Is there anything that we can look forward to seeing from you in the future? And, and also, where can people find you if they're interested in following along on your journey? And if they're interested in your coaching, where can they go find that? Um, so I am on Instagram. I'm at Ryan Haddon Coach. And my website is ryanhadden.com. And I have been doing for the last, when this whole pandemic started, I started offering hypnosis for people on Sundays and free on Zoom. 
and people have discovered hypnosis, which I'm excited about uh, because I think it's an incredible tool, as I've mentioned before. So I really wanted to offer that. And I have some of those recordings managing anxiety and chakra balancing and connecting to your higher self. I have those recordings on my website. So please go ahead there and take advantage of that. And those are free and those are my gift to you. So you can download those and listen to them. And then I've been offering hypnosis on Sundays. I'm doing a course for the month of May for specific things, using hypnosis for sleep, for eating, for self-love, for uh, manifesting abundance. So you can sign up for those on my website. And then I'm really excited about this relationship course called the Relationship Triumvirate. And it feels like in my coaching, the women that I coach with, we're always talking about these three relationships. So it's relationship to self, which is obviously number one, relationship to others. So it's our intimate relationships and how we show up for those. And then our relationship to something greater. And that will, we unpack that in six weeks, over the course of six weeks. And so that begins in, I think it's May 17th. And I'm totally excited about group coaching and for all these women to be together in this space and get to know each other and have a connection. That's what I always think. Don't you think that with your clients? Like, I wish so-and-so could meet so-and-so. Yeah. Right? <laughs> they would have such a good night. I tell them that, right? Because we're talking about the same things together and we tend to pull yeah. in the same kinds of clients because that's what we love to work with, right? And that's how they, they find us. So anyway, I'm excited about that. That's new for me, the group course. And then I'm working on my book. So sort of calling all these different things about finding your center. I love it. Yeah, I love it. And I, and I, I totally resonate with the having, I actually have a couple clients who have done group coaching with me who have become their best friends. You know, they meet oh. up even outside of, of coaching. So I know that will be the same for you as well. It just becomes when you can go through a lot of these moments that we've talked about on the podcast today, when you can work through that journey with the support of sisters Mm-hmm. Um, or not even sisters, you know, I have a lot of, of men that I coach as well with that support system. It's, mm-hmm. it's life-changing. It really it is. is. It is. Yeah, it is. It really is. And I, I, we, you, some part of you, you, you meet your clients and you, you just, your heart opens, right? It's just, yeah. um, it's a beautiful thing. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for coming onto the show today. It was, this was a, a, a hard topic to talk about, but it was so necessary. And I'm so glad that you were able to share your story with us because it's very, it's inspirational and it really gives people, if they are in this space of rock bottom or if they've been there, it gives them language to be able to speak about it. And hopefully it will spark a light in someone to know that you don't have to stay there. There are other, there are ways out. Absolutely. Yeah. And you have a big, beautiful life ahead of you and this doesn't define you. Yeah, that's how I really feel. My addiction is just part of my story and it's not my definition. It's just one other aspect of my incredible journey I've had for almost what I'm turning 50 this year. So it's, wow. it's a big, beautiful, long, incredible road. And um, addiction played it part. It's, it's, it played its, its part beautifully to get me to where I am, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. We will put thank all you. of everything that you just spoke about. We'll put all of that in the show notes and hopefully we can have you on the show again soon. Oh, Lauren, it was so much fun talking to you. Thank you for having me.